This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? I'm well, Chad. Nice to be back and talking with you again. It's been, uh, it's been a week off for both of us, of course. You were traveling. I was recovering. <laughs> you had more fun than I did. But, um... <laughs> I, I was doing a lot of traveling. I, I was telling you before we hit live, yeah. <laughs> uh, we did 44 total hours of driving from Texas to California and back within a week. Like we left Sunday. We're driving Sunday, Monday. Uh, and by the way, we didn't get to our first destination Sunday night until 4.30 in the morning. And so... That's kind of in your prime, though. That's yeah, kind, kind of. of. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we got there Monday. We did Disney Tuesday, hung out, j- chilled out on Wednesday, Universal Thursday, and we were driving Friday and Saturday again. And there were some weird issues again happening uh, Friday night. We were pl- supposed to get to our destination in Albuquerque at midnight-ish that first night, and we were going to like do some Breaking Bad hot spots the next day before we hmm. hit the road again. but. Albuquerque was happening this past weekend and they overbooked our hotel and there weren't any other nearby hotels like at all within an hour and a half radius of Albuquerque. So we had to drive another three hours to Clovis, New Mexico uh, that first night. And so we ended up getting there at like 5 a.m. And that meant Mm. that we ended up driving through Lubbock, which was why I was randomly in Lubbock this past weekend for (laughs) An hour or so. Uh, that's where Which we went to where college we together. To yeah, yeah. And so it, it was yeah. exhausting, but it, it was a good time. Good, good. Uh, mine was less eventful. Uh, more sitting on the couch and not doing anything, and uh, lots of liquid foods, which was <laughs> an experience that I don't want to do again. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're we're back to solids. Thanks. Yeah, pretty excited about that. Uh, and. That's it for me, pretty much. So let's get going on our episodes today. But first, a couple of housekeeping things. We have an email from Hannes in South Africa and from Peter. We have Facebook messages from Danielle and from Jim. And we have a Facebook review from Ron. So thank you all for reaching out on your various medias. It's, uh, it's nice to hear from you, whether it's, it's comments on the show or on, on episodes in particular that, that we've covered. It's, it's nice to hear from all of you. So thanks for reaching out. And let's get into things. Our first episode is Test the Store. We're finishing up the Florida episodes this week. This one aired on March 1st of 2012. It was directed by Brent Forrester and written by Mindy Kaling. The Sabre Store is having its grand opening today, and the Florida team is feeling the pressure to make it a success. The stress is too much for some people. In Scranton, Andy defends Pam from a violent mob, but faces some backlash when the truth comes out about the attacker. So starting off, let's talk about the the bulk of the story, which is still happening in Florida. They are officially opening the store, or at least testing the store, as the episode alludes to, uh, title alludes to. Dwight has sort of divvied out roles for everybody. Uh, Kathy is the hot girl who talks to bloggers. She she pretends to hate it at first, but then she says, oh, it was my idea. And Dwight has <clears throat> continued his sort of uh, setting aside of Packer. He says, uh, you're going to be the sexual predator who's come to prey on trendy teenage girls who are obsessed with the pyramid. I don't know if such teenage girls exist. I don't know if the pyramid has that kind of appeal. But uh, Dwight is trying to set up 
Packers sort of as the continued villain of the situation. And so everybody is in places ready to try and make this a success. Aaron is in disguise as somebody named Tabitha. I'm trying to build hype for the success of the store, for the, the launch of the store. Uh, she's successfully lined up some homeless people outside the front, <laughs> though she doesn't necessarily see it as that. Um, and so everybody's hyped and ready to go. And there's a big presentation that Ryan has to give. And that, that's sort of the setup of what's happening in Florida. Well, in the very first scene of this episode, we learn that Dwight is in charge of all of this saber store mayhem. So something must have gone right with Nellie after all, even after when we last left them, Nellie was knocking on Dwight's door, wanting to come in uh, after their encounter at the bar. And it was Dwight and Jim watching TV and ignoring Nellie. So after that, I mean, something must have happened between the two of them or Nellie just trusted him and put him in charge of all this. But he is in charge, but he's still not the VP. He says, if I can prove myself today and the store is a hit with the media and Nellie sees this, the vice presidency is mine. So he's feeling the pressure, uh, probably most of all, although Ryan is very, very nervous about this presentation he has to give. He starts having sort of a breakdown in the middle of all of this. He just cannot handle the pressure of this massive presentation. Uh, it's actually not going to be that massive as it turns out, but he gets a bit of stage fright. And Jim seems really, really apathetic about all of this. He doesn't seem to be behind the product. He calls Pam on his cell phone, not his Sabre phone that they've lent him for the day. And a blogger notices and takes a picture for his failed blog. It's it's varying levels of excitement in the store. And really, the, the crux of the Florida section of the episode does come from Ryan and his sort of freak out moment because the 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 high point of this day is supposed to be the presentation he's going to give. And he starts freaking out about it. And Dwight tries to make him feel important by saying, Oh, you know, don't worry. Just think about how much rides on this. <laughs> and that doesn't help. He, he, he thinks he's trying to make him feel important, but really he's just like adding pressure and adding pressure. And Ryan says, Oh, Kelly would know what to say. And so Dwight plays dumb and tries to flatter Ryan and it seems to kind of work. And Ryan says, Oh, but my mom would really know what to say. And so Jim steps in as the role of the mom and tries to say a couple nice things, but ends up uh, freaking Ryan out again. And it ends with Ryan just jumping ship. He's gone. He's going back to Scranton. He texts Jim and says, I have to go see my mom. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about Ryan a little bit later, but that leaves jim to do ryan's presentation dwight says this isn't the face of a performer this is the face of a scary apparition that you see before you die uh fair point <clears throat> and so jim puts on the costume and the, the the makeup and he he does the presentation and it goes well uh about as well as i think you could expect it to uh and everybody applauds it, it was a success by all signs and nelly ends the episode by saying, hey, Dwight, the job is yours. You are now the vice president. And so it was a success. And that's where we leave them, honestly. Yeah, I feel like there's not a ton of plot in that plot line. Uh, uh, the, the bulk of it, as you said, was Ryan. I wanted to talk a little bit about their presentation just because it was so ridiculous. They modeled it apparently, or seemingly after like an Apple keynote mixed with a magic show. It's very over the top, but it 
is taken very well by the audience. I mean, the audience loves it. I, I say the audience. I guess it's an audience. The the store patrons love it. But it's a really cheesy, tacky, not tacky, but very, very cheesy presentation. Though, to be fair, I think it would have been bad even if it went as planned, even if Ryan did it and the man in the costume, the costume fit him. I mean, it was all just very seemingly unprepared. But yeah, it, it goes well and the audience digs it. So Now, the other bulk of the episode takes place in Scranton as they have been these episodes. And what has happened was Andy stepped in when a group of young girls on bicycles started picking on Pam. And for stepping in and standing up for his friend, he gets punched in the eye by this little girl. And they come up with a story together about a gang that was picking on Pam. They had weapons. Andy threw a few punches, missed a few punches, got hit by a couple of punches. But in the end that they made it through. I mean, it, it was a story of like heroism and doing the right thing. And he did do the right thing, but he, he did exaggerate a couple of points. And so he gets up to the office and they tell the story as he's sporting a black eye now. And they suggest that instead of calling the cops, because obviously there's not really anything to call the cops on if it's just little girls, uh, they're going to have Toby who, if you reach back to the back of your head, you'll know Toby is versed in self-defense. Remember, he tried to teach Pam how to throw a punch back when he, she was going to punch Michael when he broke up with her mom. Uh, so Andy says, hey, Toby, teach us all how to defend ourselves. And he, he gets a little bit obvious at first uh, without being completely obvious about what actually happened he said he comes up with this hypothetical what about a smallish man without a groin scenario <laughs> and when when toby teaches them all the the nose punch uh, everybody else is punching upwards where the nose of an attacker might be and he's punching down where his 12 year old attacker was and so he, he's sort of giving some things away but it's not until uh she shows up to apologize that that the the true story is revealed yeah, the girl who hit Andy comes in with her mother, played by Tignataro. Uh, the mom makes the girl apologize, and she barely does. It's it's not really an apology. And now everyone's making fun of Andy instead of defending him because the truth has come out. And it sort of diminishes Andy's heroism. I mean, Pam was being attacked, might be a strong word, but I guess that's what it was. They were throwing things at her, and they kind of cornered her. and. She felt a bit unsafe, and Andy stepped in and, and, and handled it, but he's being a little bit diminished here, or a lot diminished here, because because it happened to be a, a very small adolescent girl. And later, Kelly admits that she was a bully as a child, so Angela suggests that she attack Toby to see what Toby, the victim, would do. And Toby does nothing. He just slowly gets smaller and smaller as Kelly hits him, and... <laughs> Eventually, Andy steps in to, like he did with Pam, be the hero, and Kelly reflexively hits him on his good eye. So now Andy has two black eyes just for being a good guy, but he, uh, he got hit by a girl twice today, one in each eye. I like that Andy, he, he, he gives a rebuttal against everybody else. He says, you know, I got hit by girls because I stood up for others. And yeah, it is kind of embarrassing that the, the, it was a 12-year-old girl initially or however old she was that that 
did do this to him. But he's right. He was trying to stand up and protect people uh, in both instances. Uh, he was trying to stop the nonsense in the office when Kelly was trying to pick on Toby. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, there is some hilarity connected to it, but they came from good places. And so who are we to make fun of Andy for uh, being the victim when he was trying to stand up for people he likes? One last small character moment I wanted to talk about was actually Kathy. Last we saw Kathy, she and Jim had that incredibly awkward night with Jim just distancing himself as far as he could from Kathy and Kathy being very forward. We see here in this episode in Florida that she's still being friendly with Jim, though she's not outright making sexual advances on him, and he appears not to be interested in her friendship at this time. He is distancing himself still and trying not to engage in any conversation. So she's still friendly and it's, it was a small moment, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. You you see her giving him looks once or twice, mm-hmm. like she's still trying to make a move, but he is having none of it. Um, I don't think I have any other character moments either. So I guess we can go ahead and move on to the funny stuff. Starting off with a cold open. Uh, as I mentioned, Aaron is quote in disguise as someone named Tabitha. Uh, she is camped out in front of the store. Uh, she said there's already a line. It's working, but it's just homeless people leaning up against the building to to sleep for the night or the morning. And later in the episode, when she's trying to continue this act of being the hipster, she says, uh, this is the most fun I've had since seeing Zooey Desk Channel at the Couchorella <laughs> Music Festival. Couchorella. <laughs> Zooey Desk Channel. That's so funny. Love that. The pyramid tablet we get to see for the first time in this episode and they they do really liken it after the apple store where all of the employees have all of the gear on them you know it's it's very um product pushy and the tablet holders that they have to wear on their chests are enormous i mean it takes up their entire torso this thing is like over a foot wide and um again it's a triangle <laughs> <laughs> Also, their phones are are triangles, uh, which Nellie makes a, a comment that they're ergonomically shaped. I can't imagine that that would be comfortable and practical in any way. And uh, just the ridiculousness of the product is is hilarious. Yeah, and they, they try and advertise that you can watch Chuck in Cars 2 on the, the pyramid. And it's like, I, I wouldn't want to. Like it's it's bad enough watching a movie on a tab or a phone or even a tablet in some circumstances, but a triangle shaped one, you're going to miss so much of the screen unless you shrink it to where it's inside. And then you're missing all the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's the point at that point? Uh, So silly. Uh, At the start of the episode, Nellie's sort of giving a motivational speech. Uh, She's talking about where she came from to get to here. She says, I came from dirt, no lower than... What's lower than dirt? And Dwight speaks up and says loam, magma, mantle, outer core, inner core. <laughs> so he's like l- listing the layers of the earth. And Nellie says, yeah, thank you. Loam. Bloody loam I came from. <laughs> I've always thought that was really funny. And I actually listed the rest of that quote as my funny moment. <laughs> she says, I hit rock bottom when I auditioned for the Spice Girls. I didn't even get a call back. Jim said, which Spice Girl? Nellie said, the black one. I never stood a chance. (laughs) (laughs) The way they reveal what exactly happened with Andy is so funny. 
First off, Kelly says, will someone please explain what's going on here? Since the interesting happened till now, so much time has passed. It's like my life is buffering. And then Andy starts telling the story about how there was a gang, there were motorcycles, they, they had weapons. And as he's telling the story, we see what is actually happening, like it's a voiceover over the actual events. And so we see, oh, he's completely fabricating this. There was no real threat. And I, I just love that the audience is privy to that information before everybody else is. Mm. And uh, they start talking about neighborhood pride where they don't they don't want to call the the cops because they don't want the neighborhood to get a bad rap in the eyes of the, the cops. And Andy's like, I have neighborhood pride. One eight five oh five. And Pam echoes one eight five oh five. And Daryl speaks up and says, guys, guys, that's so vague. You got to do the zip plus four. One eight five oh five dash seven four two seven it's like that sort of takes away the purpose of what they were trying to accomplish but i appreciate your specificity <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when daryl like his his little tiny pranks on people like that one and with michael with like the fluffy fingers and just his uh they're they're all verbal pranks and i i just i think he's he's so funny aaron we have several elderly people that come in to the Sabre store interested in the product and Dwight and Aaron are very offended by this because that is not what the product is about. This is a youthful product. Old people don't need to be here. So they kick everyone out. They kick all the elderly people out. But Aaron befriends one of them and they get to talking and this older woman gets Aaron to kind of confide in her and Aaron tells her about Andy and the older lady says, someone rejected you with that body and those bazongas? Forget him. And we have learned that that this woman, her husband has died. And Aaron says, yeah, forget him. And you should forget your husband. No. <laughs> He's like, nah, well, it's different. No. Those aren't, those aren't equivalent. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> we get one of my all-time favorite Creed moments in this episode. When Toby uh, first starts giving everybody the self-defense lesson. First off, I want to mention when Andy's like, hey, Toby, you can teach us a self-defense lesson. Toby is so excited. He says, I'll, I'll go put on my cup. And it's like, okay, you didn't need to tell us that, but sure. Right. <laughs> um, and anyways, back to Creed. Toby has listed an acronym of things that, that you need to do. Like if there's a specific order. You need to strike, you need to scream, you need to run. How about we give this a try? So Creed stands up. He slaps Meredith on the back of the head. He yelps. He goes, yay! <laughs> and he runs out. And Toby just says, that may have been my fault. <laughs> and Meredith says, what the hell, Toby? <laughs> I, I just love how Creed, without hesitating, he, he does exactly what he was told to do. Yeah, uh, he follows directions. <laughs> Angela doesn't think that she needs to be a part of a self-defense seminar because she has a rape flute and she'll use it. And I'd like to mention this is a rape flute, not a rape whistle. Yeah, it's like an she actual flute. There, she assembles this flute. <laughs> like, as if you're being attacked, you'll have the chance to sit there and... <laughs> oh, pardon me. I need to assemble my rape flute. I just can't imagine a scenario in which that would be useful. But she feels as if that's enough. <laughs> Even if it was practical to put together and she had enough time to do it. I mean, flutes aren't that loud. <laughs> right. like, they're not. I mean, there's a reason you sit them on the front row of the band because... <laughs> They need to be able to project Travel. the most. Oh, and I don't imagine a situation where you'd need to create a melody <laughs> if you're going to be attacked. Just make noise. That's uh, just noise. <laughs> right. 
uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the presentation for our discussion topic, but a, a small part of it is when Jim is talking about the pyramid and he's like, it's the shape that fits all other shapes inside of it. And he goes, wait, no, it's, and Dwight just nods and goes, yes, it's true. <laughs> he's like, don't dispute this. You're on stage. <laughs> Read the words. <laughs> Stanley. So I, I mentioned that the pyramid chest holder thing is is triangular, of course, to hold the the pyramids. But Stanley found a use for it to hold another triangular object, pizza. <laughs> and he pulls a slice of pizza out of his holder. And I think that's a great use for that. Yes, that is like I, I need to get one of those for myself just to have during the school day. Yes, absolutely. Or, or any day, honestly. Any day. When yeah. is not an appropriate time to have pizza? Don't limit yourself, Chad. <laughs> Last one, I guess, for me. Andy has a talking head at the very end. The two black eyes now after Kelly has also punched him. Andy says, tough day. Yeah, but I feel good. I put the office in their place. I took a bunch of painkillers, drank half a bottle of wine, took my pants off. I just feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, too, at that point. Black <laughs> eyes or not. Yeah, he's he's pretty loosey-goosey. He feels all right. <laughs> okay, moving on to deleted scenes. This one actually kind of enraged me a little bit, and so I'm glad it was not included in the episode. Oscar is in Andy's office, and Andy asks Oscar to speak to his Spanish-speaking maid, Teresa, on the phone. So he does. He says, okay, how are you? How are the kids? He finds out, oh, one is taking swim lessons. Yeah, they just got braces. It's kind of cute. And he says, okay, now tell her she's fired. And Oscar's like, no, Andy, I'm not going to fire your maid for you. And he says, I'd totally fire your English-speaking maid for you. <laughs> so Oscar regretfully does tell her, I'm sorry, you're fired. She says, why? Andy says, it's not Uno thing or Dose thing, but more like Diaz things. She shrunk my cashmere sweater. She puts the peanut butter in the fridge so it's impossible to spread. And so she says she'll do better. And he says, well, it's like I've already moved on emotionally. Just, just tell her that I've already hired somebody else. So Oscar does. And she says, who? Who did you hire? Apparently there's like a community and she knows everybody who he would have hired. And he says, hey, Oscar, just, just tell her that it's you. Mm. So Oscar hesitates. And then he does. Tells her it was me. He says, soy yo. And that's it. Oscar gives Andy the phone back. And he says, man, this is the hardest part of my job. Okay, Andy. Oscar just like storms out. And then Andy remembers that Teresa still has his keys. So Oscar, Oscar, come back. I need my keys too. Mm. I'm, I'm, this is so, it makes Andy seem like such a villain. And he's so unsympathetic in this deleted scene. I, I'm so glad that it's not like officially canon. Although there's a lot of times where we do consider the deleted scenes to be canon. I know. We're choosy on which ones we want to include. But um, this reminds me of Andy's privileged past more than I've seen in, in recent episodes. Uh, but yeah, they chose not to include it. So in the American workplace canon, <laughs> this does not count. The next deleted scene, we have quite a few. Nellie has a talking head and she discusses how bad it would be if someone was trampled to death in front of the Sabre store. Man, that would be really bad, right? There's already a line forming. Oh, I hope no one gets trampled. Clearly, she hopes someone would get trampled, and that would might make news, which would bring attention to the store. So 
But again, the line consists of Aaron and like two or three homeless guys. So, yeah, meh. (laughs) (laughs) As the Dunder Mifflin Scranton team walks into the store before they've officially opened everything, they have a Zachary Levi as Chuck Standee, like one of those big cardboard cutouts or whatever, uh, standing in the store. And he's holding a pyramid and he's advertising. Apparently, Chuck was really popular this time. And so as they pass, Dwight starts. He kisses his fingers and then he touches them to Zachary's mouth as he walks by. Really strange. Then Ryan does the same thing. And Jim hesitates and he gives the, the camera a look. But then he does it too. Then Kathy sort of just like squeezes. Like she imaginarily honks his nose or something like that instead of kissing the lips. And then Aaron just walks up and gives it a hug. And then Stanley is the last one in the train. He just sort of stands there and eyeballs it, looks it up and down, and he keeps on going. Stanley, Stanley's not into the, the given Zachary Levi love. It's like a good luck charm. Yeah. Nellie tells everyone that she went to church this morning to pray. She was very nervous and excited about the Saber opening, so she went to church. Dwight, in an effort to liken himself to her, tells her that he did the same thing. Jim, probably with a prank on his mind, you can tell early on, says, Oh, no way, so did I. Dwight, which church did you go to? And Dwight says it was a predominantly Latino church. Jim wouldn't know about it. Again, they're in Florida. I don't think anybody knows the local churches, but Dwight apparently went to one. Dwight says he went to La Iglesia de Dios y Jesús y María y José. (laughs) (laughs) Jim says, oh, I was also there. Which pew were you in, Dwight? And Dwight, getting flustered, says, okay, I I made it all up. Jim whispers, but I was there. (laughs) And Nellie says, you know what? I didn't care. I didn't go to church today either. It was just for effect. Uh, But Jim's committed to the prank. And it it sort of continues from there. Dwight starts assigning more roles. We saw him assign one to Kathy, one to Packer in the episode. But here he says, Aaron, you are the disaffected hipster who has learned to give a damn because of the pyramid. And Stanley, I'm going to need you to pretend to be the renowned singer-songwriter Lenny Kravitz. (laughs) Jim speaks up and says, uh, Stanley looks nothing like Lenny Kravitz. Dwight starts to complain about Jim undermining every little thing he says. But while he's doing that, Ryan pulls up a picture of Lenny Kravitz on his pyramid and shows him. And obviously it won't work. (laughs) Dwight's like, oh, okay, I got it. Aaron says, you know, I believe Stanley was Al Roker's brother. And so Ryan pulls up a picture of Al Roker and Dwight holds it up to Stanley. Okay, that'll work. He says, done. Thank you. And then this is when Kathy gives one of those looks that we mentioned earlier. We actually see her give the same look in the episode, but he turns away and then she has a talking head in this deleted scene. She says, Jim and I had an experience in his hotel room. This is so awkward. We just need to have a conversation to clear the air and figure out what it is that we both want from this. Jim then has a talking head sort of in response to this. You remember that crazy girl in high school? Imagine if she went to college and majored in crazy. And then she went and worked real hard to get her doctorate in bonkers. And then after the internship at the Looney Bin, ended up working at the desk next to yours. And her name is Kathy. Well, that's Kathy. (laughs) It's like, imagine this scenario. This is exactly the way it is. Uh, Yeah, she's uh, becoming a little bit obsessed. It's it's quite uncomfortable. Nellie warns everyone that today the opening could be total chaos if we get it right. We need, she says, we need to believe that anything is possible. She says the square is a very entrenched form. I want to create a sense of wonder and enthusiasm as if at the end of E.T. candy poured out of the screen. She's uh, 
just we've learned that she's very good at just spouting nonsense and uh she's just trying to hype people up but then later we see that stanley has quite taken to his role as matt roker al roker's brother he says that al who's who's a, a famous weatherman used to hate the weather and a lady comes up to him and questions him she says i happen to know that al roker's brother's name is chris stanley says that he's the, the brother that they don't talk about the joker roker she doesn't buy it, so he admits that he's not a roker. He's just trying to cover up for the fact that he's Raymond Simone's father. Toucan Simone. <laughs> this is like the cheesiest we've ever seen, Stanley. He says, did you know that Raven can bench her own weight? That girl has always been the strongest one in the family. And he's just very good at coming up with these little fake stories about these celebrities. And he's very much enjoying doing it. Ryan mistakes a woman in the store for his mom he has a talking head where he says you know i really miss granton every night here i i get drunk and i i watch porn and for some reason it just doesn't i just don't enjoy it the way i did in scranton so he's doing the same thing he apparently does every night regardless of where he's stationed but he just enjoys it more in scranton so he 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 wants to go home and see his mom packer approaches kathy he tells her that a little birdie told him that she's an infomaniac then says, look, don't feel bad that Jim rejected you. That dude's queer for his wife. He says, I'll sleep with you. No questions asked. Kathy says, ooh, and walks away. Packer quickly moves on to the next woman, so he's not at all concerned. Uh, he's just trying to, it's, it's quantity at this point, not quality. Yeah, and you also censored some of the grosser things he I said. I did, yes. <laughs> he did not say sleep with you. No. <laughs> and no. He, he did say something else as he approached the woman at the end of the scene. That was really... Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can use your imagination. Yeah. I mean, it's Or go watch what the deleted <laughs> And then the last deleted scene, Jim has a talking head. This is right after the presentation that he gives. He says, no, 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 I'm not a performer, no. But my mom always did say I was pretty funny. And he starts to tell a story. He says, I used to do these. No, never mind. And he, he cuts himself off. But he clearly very much enjoyed the, uh, the performance high that he got. Right. Okay, moving on to our discussion topic. Uh, as I alluded to, I want to talk just a little bit more about the speech. Because we know it was designed to be given by Ryan. And it alludes to a couple of the more personal details in his life that we can confirm. There's, uh, I've seen drug addiction, unemployment. I've been in a relationship that tore my heart apart without ever being able to accept that love drove the pain. So we can only assume he's talking about Kelly there. And then he talks about going to Disney World when he was 10 years old and he cried the whole time because he couldn't comprehend the beauty that was before him. He just wanted to go home. And so there's these really personal details. And we actually see while Jim is giving this presentation, in Ryan's stead, uh, we see Ryan grabbing his stuff and getting on the bus to go home. So I just wonder, is there any sort of deeper meaning to Ryan's quote unquote journey in this episode? Like, do you know what I mean? I think I know what you mean, but I don't know if I do think that. Um, a part of me read that speech as sort of flowery language to make it sound more impressive mm -hmm. i i didn't necessarily think that speech was all accurate and i i read ryan's 
needing to go home to his mom as just severe uh, immaturity, I guess. And that he just is panicking. And when he panics, it's his mom that he turns to as a grown man. But I, yeah, I, I didn't get that impression. Not that it can't be true. I just, that's not what I took from it. Well, I'm not saying necessarily that there was any sort of deeper meaning to it. I, I, I agree that it was very just kind of flowery. Uh, it almost reminds me of Michael's local ad whenever he came up with mm. the, the limitless paper in a paperless world. Like, that doesn't make sense. But it's the same sort of stuff. And the presentation opens with time, space, gender. There are no rules anymore. So it's like all these hot button topics scattered throughout and the drug addiction, unemployment, relationship woes. It's like stuff that people identify with, but really have nothing to do with selling technology. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I also thought it was just interesting seeing how unconfident Ryan is in himself and how it's sort of like, think about Ryan in season four when he was vice president of Northeastern sales, you know, like he had a big position mm -hmm. and he had a lot of confidence and he wasn't afraid to show it. But here is just like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So I don't know what exactly that's a sign of. It, in one way, I think you could show it as growth. Like he knows that he's not all that in a bag of potato chips like he thought back in season four. Or mm. a wonderkind as he referred to himself all the time. Or if it's just the complete opposite. If it is just straight up immaturity that is only just now revealing itself. So do you see how it could sort of go both ways, I think? I, I do. I also got the impression, for some reason, that Dwight wrote that speech, not Ryan. So if that's the case, then I don't think he's very self-aware, you know? If he did write the speech, then he's probably very self-aware and just masking it all the time, you know? His insecurities or whatever. But for, for whatever reason, I believe that Dwight wrote that. You know, I think... I think that's a good thing to point out because, I mean, you, you do see what Jim is giving the speech that Dwight is mouthing along uh, mm -hmm. with it word for word without looking at the cue cards himself. So I, I think that's a, a strong case to be made for Dwight having actually written the speech. And maybe that's why Ryan was so not interested in giving it because it was a little bit too personal and it was just Dwight revealing all of all of Ryan's skeletons in his closet without Ryan wanting to do it. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I, that came around in different ways, but yeah. I, I, I think that's a good point. Cool. So moving on to our next episode, Last Day in Florida, aired March 8th, 2012, directed by Matt Sohn and written by Robert Padnick. Well, it's the last day in Florida, roll credits, <laughs> and, Dwight, <laughs> and Dwight has officially gotten the vice president job he was hoping for. As Jim and Stanley get ready to head back to Scranton, Jim learns that things with Dwight and Robert California aren't exactly the way they seem, so he has to decide the best way to handle the situation. Erin is also staying true to her intent of staying behind, and Daryl and Toby, back in Scranton, are competing for the right to sell cookies to a certain someone in the office. Dwight, at this point, is getting along very nicely with Nellie. Dwight now is, of course, VP of Saber Sales, I guess, or Saber... Uh, what's the position called? Saber sales? Yeah, or special projects, or special, yeah. I don't know. He is the brick and mortar store VP. So they, Nellie and Dwight, along with Jim and Robert California, have gone golfing. And Dwight, it looks like, is staying in Florida. He is. This is where he is now because this is where the store is. 
So Jim presents Dwight with a parting gift out of totally good meaning. And Dwight, without even looking at it, hits it with a golf club. He says that he just doesn't care. Thanks, but no thanks. And Jim has this talking head. He says, this is the last time I'll ever see Dwight. It's a weird feeling. It's, uh, what's the word? It's not bittersweet. It's, ah, sweet. Yeah, sweet. That's what it is. Jim's like, you know what? I tried. I tried to give him this gift, and he doesn't want to do it. Great. That's, That's my last effort. Bye. You know, he's he's a little bit over it. But then, even again, even after he said that, he tries to say goodbye again, and Dwight doesn't take it seriously. So Dwight's checked out. He has no feelings of nostalgia over not going back to Scranton. He's just done. He's moved on already. It's a bummer because something that we didn't mention explicitly in the last episode was when Ryan skipped town and left them high and dry needing somebody to give the presentation. Jim was the only person to do it. And Dwight didn't didn't just say, hey, Jim, you're doing this. You have no choice. He said, Jim, I need you to do this. You're the only one who can do this. Please do this. Like he was pretty genuine in the moment and asking Jim to do this favor for him. He says, if you don't, if you don't do this, I don't stand a chance. So Dwight has a lot to thank of Jim and of the other people he brought from Scranton to or for him to get this job he has a a lot to be grateful for with these people he owes them a lot but in this moment when jim gives him a gift he says from all of us he's so ungrateful he just smashes it we don't know what was the, what the gift was we don't know if it was thoughtful or genuine or a joke or a get we, we don't know I, I would assume it's something genuine it was something thoughtful because i mean it's a big deal dwight is moving on he's been at dunder mifflin for how many years at this point they've all been co-workers for several years so i would like to think that the gift was going to be something meaningful in some capacity uh and he treats it like it's nothing so that's a bummer and Jim has his whole bittersweet isn't the right word. Sweet is the right word. Talking head as well. It's like, it, it just sucks that after everything these two have been through, yes, they've been rivals at some point, but they've also been coworkers for so long. They've been partners in some aspects. There's no lingering nostalgia. There's nothing, no connection that they have for each other where they're going to miss each other even just a little bit. It, it just kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, I, I felt that way too. Like, okay, this is how we're going to leave it. All right, fine, I guess. But on their way back to the clubhouse, Robert and Jim are sharing a golf cart. And Robert tells him something that sounds kind of suspicious. He says that today will not be Dwight's day. And when Jim asks, Robert tells him that he's going to tank the Sabre store. He says that there's a reason they sell their products online and over the phone. Their products are cheap and unintuitive. He says he couldn't take the project from the start because Joe Bennett endorsed it. But when the store goes down, Dwight will go down with it. And that is happening soon. So he's sort of sacrificing Dwight for the purpose of sacrificing the Sabre store. He does not think that it's a good idea to run the store and he needs someone to be manning it so he can tank it. And that person is Dwight. So Jim now feels very obligated to tell Dwight this news because no one else knows. And I mean, even though Dwight doesn't care to give Jim the time of day, Jim feels like this is his responsibility and he needs to at least tell Dwight or at least try to tell Dwight what's going to happen. And after that point, Dwight can take it or leave it. Jim did his job if he can just get him the news, but he has a hard enough time getting Dwight to listen to him. Yeah. I mean, I guess Jim earned Dwight's response a little bit in regards to him trying to tell him information and then Dwight just thinking it's sort of a prank or a joke. I mean, Jim hasn't always been the most honest person when it comes to Dwight, but I, I mean, he, tr- he does try 
but I mean that that sucks uh, for for Dwight and for and for Jim because he is trying to do the right thing. Uh, but I love that when Jim calls Pam on the way to the airport and says, "This is what's happening." Pam says, "Did you really try your hardest? Go back and at least get the words out. You owe him that much, and you owe me that much, Pam." that much because i mean we know that pam and dwight they consider each other to be friends both ways they consider to be friends mm -hmm. uh so I i'm glad that pam sort of puts her foot down and says hey you need to actually put forth 100 percent effort in this so that dwight does have that opportunity to make the decision himself and don't leave it up to him not knowing the information that causes him to be fired yeah you need to get the words out of your mouth right so jim turns around and finds Dwight and tells him, but Dwight doesn't believe him and tells him to go away. So in the middle of a Dwight talking head, Jim, who was on his way out the door, he's like, you know what? I did it. I got the words out of my mouth. It's on him now. But Jim feels this sense of, of obligation. So in the middle of a Dwight talking head, Jim returns and just tackles Dwight to the ground before Dwight can go in the room to make this presentation, which in the room is where they're going to ax him. So they start fighting because Dwight just doesn't believe him. He's, he thinks this is a prank or something, and it's really, really not. So, all right, Dwight's a no-show. They're outside fighting, and, pa and Packer wants to take over the presentation because, really, he was the next in line. And Nellie has no choice, and Nellie doesn't know about all of us going down, so she lets him. But a and after a very long fight, Dwight enters the room just in time for Robert to tank. Todd Packer and the Sabres door. No one sees Dwight come in, and Packer tries to throw Dwight under the bus at this time, but Dwight runs out in time, and Nellie, surprisingly, is completely on board with firing Packer, and I wonder if she would have been on board with firing Dwight as well, uh, or if she just really likes Dwight and doesn't like Packer, or if she's not loyal to either of them, I'm not sure, but when Dwight leaves the room, he helps Jim up. Because Jim's still on the ground, exhausted from their fight, and uh, and Dwight just walked away. Backtracking just a tiny bit, uh, mm. what do you think drove Jim to tackle Dwight? Like, do you think it was more loyalty to Pam's wishes? Do you think it was some sort of affection or nostalgia for times with Dwight? Is it just trying to do the right thing? Like, there was a split second where we thought he was going to leave, and yeah. whatever was going to happen was going to happen. But then he changed his mind and he tackled Dwight. So I, I didn't, I was just curious what you thought was the driving force behind that. Mm. So I think, of course, Pam's words got him to turn around. Mm -hmm. I think it was sort of Pam's words again, but more his sense of, he doesn't believe me, so this isn't 100%. He does not really hear the words coming out of my mouth. He heard them. He doesn't believe what I'm saying, and he needs to believe it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was him emphasizing how real he's being how 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 truthful he's being yeah he, he's trying his hardest as as pam wished okay and then you you raised a really interesting question about whether if dwight had gone in and the same thing had happened robert axed the idea and he 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 said that dwight was going to be fired for this or whatever he was going to say would nelly have thrown dwight under the bus in the same way i hadn't thought about that and Part of me wants to say, or at least most of me actually wants to say, I think she would have, because I think Nellie is sort of all about self-preservation. So, yeah, I, I think so. 
Uh, do you have any sort of counter argument or do you agree? No, I, I, I agree. I don't think I have solid evidence as to why I agree, but I do think she is self-serving first. Mm -hmm. I, I think she's a fun character. Don't get me wrong. I do like her, but I do think she's, she's entertaining. Um, but I don't trust her, you know? Right. Uh, I, I do think that she is in the business of Nelly first and wants to appear to side with whoever's higher than her. And that's Robert. And as long as it's not her being fired, as long as it's her subordinate, then, you know, she'll side with Robert. So I think she would have been okay with firing Dwight because she didn't dislike Packer. She almost slept with the guy. I mean, mm -hmm. she thinks he's fine. Yeah. Uh, up until he vomited on her, he was winning. until he vomited. On her. <laughs> that, that, that did it in, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, she probably would have thrown Dwight under the bus, too. In any case, I do love that moment when Dwight walks out. And, man, I feel so badly for him because he's so crushed and so defeated. But it's sort of like in solidarity, he brings Jim to his feet. And I, 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 I have to hope that through this encounter, he has a new respect for Jim. Because yeah. not only did Jim give me this information, I didn't listen, but he... I mean, he believed in this so much and he, he cared so much that he tackled me to the ground and he fought against me to prevent me from being fired. So I, I, I just hope that going forward from here, that Dwight and Jim have some sort of new relationship with each other. And then when we see when they get back to Scranton, everybody sort of confronts Dwight. And there's a moment at the very beginning of the episode we can talk about in the funny moments, but everybody thinks that Dwight's gone. And so when he shows up with Stanley and Jim at the end, they start to ask, hey, Dwight, why, why are you here? We thought you were staying in Florida. But Jim steps in front and says, you don't need to confront him about this right now. Or he doesn't say that. But I mean, that, that's sort of the implication is, no, listen to me, leave him alone, because he doesn't need this right now. We got a voicemail several episodes ago asking if we thought that Dwight and Jim were actual friends, enemies, frenemies, somewhere in between. I think at this point, this is sort of an unspoken shift in their friendship. I think you're right. I think Dwight really does sense a a new sense of loyalty and just camaraderie with with Jim. They don't I don't think ever voice it about this situation, but it's pretty big. I mean that that Jim would struggle with Dwight physically and throw himself to the ground for him is pretty massive and uh yeah, it makes me think very highly of Jim. Okay, just a couple more Florida character things before we talk about the situation at Scranton. First off, it looks like Kathy is staying in Florida, which is something I hadn't really considered before. But when they when Jim is on the shuttle back to the airport, it's just Jim and Stanley. And Kathy is hanging behind at the meeting. She's at the meeting when Packer gets fired. So it looks like she's having some sort of shift. I don't think we ever get an answer to that, to be honest. But it was something <laughs> worth pointing out. Also worth pointing out that Nellie is not fired, to our knowledge. Right. Packer is fired. She says, whatever you do, do not blame Todd Packer. It is not his fault. Blame his upbringing, his parents, the society that would mold this idiotic creature. Fire the employee, yes, but not the man. You may not cancel his soul. <laughs> that could have gone under funny moments, but uh, Robert's like, that, that was never on the table. <laughs> not, We're not canceling not killing him. The man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she completely throws him under the bus and it is Packer that is fired because Packer says, 
tries to say, she's the, the head of this whole thing. Robert's response is, yet it is you who are fired. So Nellie is apparently still in the game, uh, yet to be determined whether we're going to see any more of her, but she's not fired from Saber. And then the last thing is with Aaron, and that, that can connect back to our Scranton people. Yeah, so Aaron, we see that she is working for the old lady from the last episode. Her name is Irene, and Aaron is working as a live-in helper for Irene. And she's this sweet, funny old lady. I, I love this character. I think she's so fun. And later, at Irene's house, we see Aaron video chatting Andy to tell him officially that she is not coming back. Except it does take a while for them to get to that part of the conversation. They're kind of flirty. They're, they're just joking around and talking for a while. And Andy's uh, not, not thrilled, of course, that Aaron's not going to be coming back. So that is official at this point. Andy is upset almost to the point of being mad about it. He, he starts packing up her things at her desk. He says, you know, it's uncool of her to just leave us without a receptionist. And Pam says, it's not hard to get a receptionist. That's an easy role to fill. And everybody else actually already knew about this because apparently Ryan told them through his Tumblr. Ryan says, don't you check, check my Tumblr? And Andy says, you never update it. Ryan says, well, I updated it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Andy's sort of the last one to know. So that hurts a little bit more. It was just sprung on him here that, that she's staying behind. And uh, it's interesting that when Jim and Stanley arrive back at the end of the episode, what triggers Andy to do something is he sees Jim and Pam reunite and embrace and kiss and staring at them. He has like this revelation. I have to go get Aaron. So we can make some inferences based on the moment that sort of sparks that realization for him. Uh, but officially we don't know whether him going after Aaron in Florida is a romantic effort or a platonic effort. But like I said, we can sort of infer some things just based on he saw Jim and Pam kiss and he decided I have to go get Aaron. So that seems to say a lot to me. Right. And then the last storyline here is uh, a good transition into funny moments as it is quite comical. So Daryl is selling cookies for Jada, his daughter, for her Girl Scout troop at the office. Well, sorry, they can't, they don't say Girl Scout. For her troop at the office. It's a... uh off-brand Girl Scout, I guess. Um, here, in, sorry, he's in Andy's office when Toby walks in, doing the same thing for his daughter, Sasha. There have never been two people selling cookies in the office before, so there's a bit of a rivalry now, and Daryl, in an act of faux kindness, tells Toby that since it's his first year, they, you know what, we could split the office. You can have sales and the annex and Creed, and I don't know, I'll just take accounting. And Dobby says, wow, that's really generous. Are you sure? Daryl says, yeah, it's fine. But of course, Toby learns that Daryl just wanted Kevin, who was in accounting, and says this in front of Kevin. And Kevin tells him, you know what? There is no need to fight over me. Actually, no, no, no. I'm buying. I make the rules. I want you to fight over me. And so for the whole rest of the day, he makes them duke it out over Kevin and compete for his cookie sales. Yeah, they do all kinds of humiliating th hum humiliating things that we can talk about more in just a moment. But it eventually gets to the point where Kevin wants to ride them like a pony. And they say, nope, not worth it. Maybe this isn't a good thing, but there are limits to what I would do for my child. <laughs> Toby says, yeah, I, I still have my dignity. And so they decide, okay, Kevin, you're not getting our cookies after all. And so then things flip. 
And Kevin becomes desperate for buying cookies rather than being sold cookies. And so he starts doing all the things that he had forced them to do throughout the day. Dancing, even kissing Meredith, which was on the table at one point, but nobody actually did. But he does it and he, he sort of cries afterwards <laughs> because it is <laughs> apparently not a pleasant experience for him. Yeah, that's how that ends. And any other character moments to discuss before funny moments? No, I think that's it. Let's talk about the funny stuff. So the cold open for this end. The cold open for this episode, Andy gets off the phone and tells everyone in a very troubled voice that Dwight is no longer with them. And everyone, of course, responds in shock, as Andy phrased it horribly. He says, oh, Dwight's been made VP of Sabre Retail. That's what it is. And will be staying in Florida forever. Angela gets mad at Andy for making it sound like Dwight died. And Andy said, how could I have been more clear? He had a massive stroke of good fortune, and he is now in a better place. <laughs> it's like, come on, you're just phrasing this horribly. And Phyllis asks that if Dwight is not coming back, can we open up his treasure? So Oscar tells us in a talking head that Dwight gave everyone specific instructions not to touch his treasure while he's away in Florida. And it's this little treasure box. And Oscar thinks that there's nothing in the box, that Dwight just wanted everyone to obsess over it which is obviously what he'd want them to think, so maybe it's the perfect place to hide treasure. And he says, oh God, I'm, I'm Wallace Shawn in The Princess Bride. <laughs> so then we go back to the bullpen. They've clearly been debating what could be in the box for a while, and Andy says, I think that Dwight wanted us to realize that this conversation among friends is the true treasure. Andy says, no one should open it. You'd have to be insane. Everyone turns their gaze to Creed, who says, hi, hello. <laughs> because he'd have to be insane to open the box. So, of course, it's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> so Creed opened the box. And it's a picture of everyone in the office. Really sweet. And then a dart narrowly misses Creed's head. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a Dwight talking head. He's, of course, still in Florida. And in a really sarcastic tone, he says, a dart? Are you kidding me? He would put a poison dart. I, I, mean, I don't know that it's poison. I just mean, if, I have to imagine. I mean. God, I'm glad he's okay, though. Kind of sounds like he deserved it, though, opening another man's treasure and all. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I love there's a board that they've been writing ideas on of what they think might be in the box. The the list includes Shroot Bones, Star Wars stuff, (laughs) Nudie Mags, a Rosebud type scenario. I wonder if uh, Daryl and Oscar had that argument again over what the Rosebud meant in Citizen Mm -hmm. Kane. Somebody suggested a photo with our toothbrushes up his butt. I have to think that's maybe Kevin's idea. I'm not sure. That or nudie mags. Yeah. Uh, Then the other options are actual gold. And then the last thing they considered for some reason was trap. But Hmm. that's what it ended up being. At the golf course, Dwight is talking about how excited he is. He says, you think you're excited? You should feel my nipples. Ping. (laughs) Just a visual I did not want. But there it is. Let's see. I'll mention one more since that one was real quick. Uh, when Daryl first comes into Andy's office to sell cookies, Andy says, sure, sign me up for a box. I don't care what it is. Dealer's choice. Daryl writes down, I'll, I'll put you down for shortbreads. And he looks depressed. He says, damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> then, then change what you're getting. Like, you don't have to go with what Daryl decides. I just love his reaction. And then when Toby is uh, upset with Daryl for trying to claim the territory, he says, can't you sell at your church or your barber shop? <laughs> and realizing that's super racist and stereotypical, he says, or, or, or your chess club or. 
whatever it is you do outside of here. Mr. Mr. Uh, HR rep. Daryl has a talking head. He says, all I need is Kevin. Dude buys more cookies than everyone combined and then some. Or I guess it's not really a talking head. Uh, Kevin waves at him. And Daryl says, when I first started selling cookies, he was a relatively thin man. Not a thin man, mind you. Relatively (laughs) thin. (laughs) When they start to fight over Kevin, he says, oh, don't fight over me. Actually, I do want you to fight over me. Uh, He says, I'm the one buying the cookies. I make the rules. He says, I want to be wined and dined and 69'd. And Angela obviously makes a face and makes a sound because that's gross. He says, metaphorically 69'd. Ew, (laughs) perverts. And then he turns to Oscar after he says perverts and says, no offense, Oscar. Like, what are you Uh... trying to imply here? Kevin has a very limited understanding of what gay or homosexual means. Yeah. Daryl, after calling his daughter chubby so he could sell cookies to Kevin, he says, baby, if you're watching this, you're not chubby. You're beautiful. Daddy's just got to sell some cookies. (laughs) And we're also going to exercise more. It's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's sad, but fun. It's so sad. And (laughs) so they start this competition or whatever. And one of the things, it was what Pam suggested, actually. They, They sing the Dancing Frog song from Looney Tunes. And so they're, they've just finished the routine, and Kevin says, this is hard, because Daryl, you sang better and danced better, which sounds like the point of the competition to me. But then he says, but Toby has that indescribable quality that makes a star. <laughs> and it, the camera goes around to everybody else's reactions, and we see Ryan just, like, gives the camera a face, like, almost a gym face. Like, what? Huh? <laughs> How? Toby? Kevin, towards the beginning of the episode, is just so excited to be to, like, for cookie sales and we get this great yes rhyme thing he says oh springtime thinks that it's the best and fall time thinks that it's the best cold time has kind of a strut and valentine's thinks that it's the best but gather around peeps will tell you the truth nothing beats the cookie season that's the truth <laughs> <laughs> and that is the closest you'll ever get to hearing me rap thank you <laughs> The best. I love, love the rhyme. The back and forth of, like, it's so random. He goes from spring to fall, and then there's not winter. There's cold time. Cold time. Valentine's. Which is a season, apparently. Right. (laughs) And the cookie season is the best of all. I mean, I agree with him there. He's not wrong, and I haven't had Girl Scout cookies in far too long, and uh, I would also be rhyming if I got two people trying to sell to me, too, so it's fine. But those are the those are the seasons, everybody. It's it's spring, <laughs> fall, cold time, and Valentine's. Yeah, unarguable. A little bit more about Irene and Aaron because I just love them. So Aaron is not the best at having a or someone to to care after, really. And Irene wants some tea, so Aaron boils some Gatorade for her because that's the same thing. It's hot flavored liquid. I also love this bit where Aaron's trying to video, well, they call it a video chat, Andy, but Aaron needs Irene's help doing it. And Irene is probably, I mean, late 70s and uh, has a much better grasp on technology than Aaron, which makes sense. I mean, she was in a technology store when they met and uh, Aaron asked for her help. Irene says, just open the program and type in his username. Aaron's getting flustered. She says, can you just do it? 
Irene says, here, type in your password. And Aaron out loud says, Aaron, one, two, three. <laughs> and Irene says, that's a terrible password. And you don't make a video chat, you video chat. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's like explaining to your mom how to do this. It's just, oh, I just love her so much. <laughs> She's one of my favorites. And also, when, when Aaron first gives us the sort of introductory voiceover as to what she's doing with Irene, she says, I, I, I do everything for her. I run errands. I do chores. I cook and clean. I don't know how she survived without me. And some of the things we see her like doing while she gives this voiceover, she's like sorting her medication, which involves gathering them all into like a pile in her hand and then just like scattering them <laughs> randomly across the pill organizer with no organization whatsoever, which I'm sure is great. That's, that's yeah, wonderful. Uh, and then like her, her technical prowess, we, we talked about the making a video chat, but we also see her randomly like hitting the TV to try and make the static go away. Cause that's how you fix TVs. Yeah. So we, I mean, we've known she's not great at technology, but I just love that an older, a much older woman is correcting her. Yeah. She, she's, she's there for the cheap rent and that's basically it. Yeah. So moving on to deleted scenes, uh, really just two here, very small compared to our last episode with a million. Packer, in an attempt to make small talk with Robert, asks if he's amped for Thrones. When Robert doesn't respond, or Packer says, Game of Thrones? It's a show on HBO. <laughs> very popular. Robert says, oh, oh, no. And Packer walks away onto the next person, so he's just... <laughs> yeah, Robert could not be less interested. <laughs> Or aware that there is a show of right. uh, called Game of Thrones. He only watches the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other deleted scene, Irene walks in with the grandson that she actually mentioned in the episode, the one who's a fabulous swimmer. And when she introduces him as such, he says, I haven't swam since high school. She says, that's not true. You love swimming. Anyways, he introduces himself to Aaron and he says, you know, I'm hungry. I've been craving Japanese sushi fish all week. Would you like to join me? And Aaron was laying on the couch under the blanket, kind of moping. And she says, sure, just let me go get ready and put on some makeup. I've been crying. Just like, <laughs> matter of fact, this is what's happening in my life today. I've been crying, so I need to go tidy just up a so little bit. you know. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's showing that she's sort of closed the door with Andy. And that's the way she sees things. And so she's been emotional about it. And so that's why she's been crying. I also love that we meet this, this grandson. Uh, who is an adult because given Irene's description of a swimmer who does the deep end and the shallow end of the pool, right. <laughs> uh, he's an adult. <laughs> yeah. So I was just expecting a child, but no, he's uh, probably in his late twenties. <laughs> like, Yeah. Okay. So our discussion topic, does Irene actually need help or is she helping Aaron? Irene in the last episode deleted scenes, as we just mentioned, does mention that her rent is too high for her to pay but she's very aware of the fact that Aaron isn't helping i don't know what are your thoughts i mean i think the biggest things that Aaron is actually like legitimately helping with are one splitting the rent which makes mm -hmm. it living for her which makes it easier for her and then the grocery shopping i i don't know if she's good at grocery shopping uh but i mean at least it's one less thing that Irene has to get out of the house for because she is using a, a cane or whatever i mean those are the two biggest things otherwise from what we saw that aaron was not a big help it just concerns me because aaron says she's working for irene meaning that irene would be paying her to be a live-in aid when essentially she is doing groceries yeah and i'm like 
how much is this lady paying you? When she could just be paying for the apartment or for the house, I mean. <laughs> Their relationship is very interesting, but as I said, I do love her, so I'm glad we get it nonetheless. <laughs> Before we close off the episode, let's get to some voicemails. We got some catch-up to do since it has been a little bit since we recorded. Uh, we had a couple of voicemails from Maria from California. We're going to play one of them, but we will respond to both. So here is the first. Hi, friends. Maria from California. I was thinking about Kevin's allergy to walnuts from Special Project, and I have never thought that he actually had an allergy to walnuts until listening to the episode that you all put out. Um, I always thought that he just didn't like nuts in his brownies, like when Dwight's, you know, making brownie mix and then pours the nuts in and Kevin's like, no. So it's kind of like when kids say like they're allergic to something or like, oh, no, I can't eat that. But really, they're just super picky. And Kevin just does not want nuts in his sweet treats. And so he's going to find a way to guarantee that that doesn't happen. Um, I have never felt like it was a real allergy. And um, I just thought that he was kind of saying that there might be some evidence throughout the uh, show that that's, yeah, that it's not an allergy. But I was just curious on your thoughts about that. So anyways, thanks so much for all you do. Bye. Okay. So do we think his walnuts allergy is real or not? I have a very strong opinion on this and I didn't, I, I do. I think he does have an allergy because when Angela brings her magic cookie bars or whatever they're called after her, after she'd had her kid, Kevin, knowing that there are walnuts in the cookie bars, eats them anyway. Whereas when Dwight was making brownie mix and pours the nuts in, he sees that like, oh, now I can't have them. But when Angela, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to fight through it. Whereas, like, I don't love walnuts, so I won't generally eat sweets that have walnuts in there. Um, I mean, I will, but, like, <laughs> I prefer not to. But he would suffer through, like, I don't know if I'm making sense, but he, being Kevin and being sort of the sweet tooth that he is, would suffer through the allergy in a dire situation, you know, if he had to. Whereas I don't think he would eat it if he just hated walnuts you know what i mean right i definitely think he does have them I don't know uh, based on the first moment alone like the moment where he was just like seeing dwight put the walnuts in the brownie mix right i i don't think i would have thought he was allergic based on that i th would have thought he just doesn't like nuts uh, right. but the fact that pam came in and was like, oh, sorry, Angela, you got mommy brain. You have to remember that Kevin is allergic to walnuts. Like, it, it's other characters who point out first. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to consider, but I, I do think that it, it is a legitimate one. But it's interesting that you hadn't considered that until we talked about it. So that was the first voicemail from Maria. She left one more uh, that we're not going to play because it's a little long, but we can respond to it because uh, it was in response to our discussion on pool party. Just a few episodes ago, uh, we speculated on what Dwight meant when he said, you're an idiot to Andy after he had sort of said, hey, you mind if I go take Aaron home and have sex with her right now? And Andy says, do what you want. And he says, you're an idiot. Dwight says, you're an idiot. Uh, but she specifically referenced Andy's quote where he says, or take it slow or whatever you two decide. 
she referenced that quote specifically as Andy maybe trying to keep Aaron from being involved with any other coworkers, and Dwight was targeting that statement. Like, even though Andy was with Jessica uh, or is with Jessica and was supposedly happy with her, he was still trying to have some sort of control over Aaron's relationships with other people. Uh, but I went back and I watched that moment earlier prepping for the episode. And personally, I didn't get the sense that when Andy said, take it slow, he was actually telling them to take it slow. He was saying, this situation is out of my hands. Aaron and I are done, so I don't care what you do. Like, if you decide to take it fast or if you decide to take it slow, that's up to you because you two are consenting adults. That's the way I interpreted that specific moment. And so uh, that said, I'm still not sure what Dwight was targeting with his you're an idiot comment whether it was him saying you don't know what you're letting go of or like what you're setting aside with Aaron or whether it was him just like generally calling Andy an idiot because this was right after Andy had done the whole get my monog on and like his general ridiculousness. I still don't have an answer for that, but I did want to respond. I I don't think that Andy was necessarily trying to control Aaron in that situation. I mean, ditto exactly. Um, You have my, my thoughts as well. I think he was fully disengaged at that point from from their relationship and felt like Aaron could could make her own decisions. However, I the more I think about it, the more I think that Dwight was saying, you don't know what you're letting go when he was calling Andy an idiot. Because I just think he has a little soft spot for Aaron. I mean, outside of the context of that episode, I might not agree, but in that episode, I think he gained a little soft spot for her. So I think that's what that was in reference to. But yeah, exactly what you said. Okay, our next voicemail is from Michael from Texas. Hello, Michael. This is Michael from Texas. So you were giving a lot of credit to Jim for not having an affair with Kathy, which in a normal TV show, that would be justified. But in this TV show, it's filmed under the guise of being a documentary. So that means there were actually a documentary film crew in the room. So I would say that you shouldn't get that much credit for not having an affair when you knew that there was a documentary film crew filming the entire thing and that the footage would have been released in about two years for everybody to see. Okay, Michael, thank you for the voicemail, but uh, you you do have a point. Yeah. It would take a special kind of person to actively cheat on their spouse (laughs) in front of cameras that they knew were there. But I just have to ask, like, do you really think that Jim would have cheated on Pam had the cameras not been there? Like, if you watch this show and you see Jim and you think that's the kind of guy who would cheat on his spouse after pining after this woman since season one, like I just don't know what show you're watching. If that's sort of the thing you're trying to insinuate, because I, and I, I mean, I think I speak for Katie too. I don't see like a cheating bone in, in Jim's body, at least up to this point in the show. There's nothing to indicate that had the cameras not been there, he would have gone along with Kathy. Yeah, I I agree that he wouldn't have cheated. Um, I do want to retroactively, if if we sounded like we were giving Jim credit for not cheating, I want to renege that because no one should have. I mean, if somebody's getting married soon, um, <laughs> I don't think anyone deserves credit for not cheating. Like that's just basic decency, decency and vows. Like don't do that. So like that. I'm not going to like clap my fiance on the back. Like, good job for not cheating props. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's just basic human decency. 
So I just want to nip that in the bud. If we made it sound like we were giving Jim credit, I was not giving Jim credit. Um, <laughs> um, right. I, I think the, the comment we specifically made was like when she bent over at the refrigerator and was showing off her backside. Oh, he looked yeah, away. Like good, like, good for him for looking away. Yeah. Like something like yeah. that. But I mean, I still just still, camera crew or not, I don't think anything would have happened. Right. 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 Um, but yes, that is a good point that there was a camera crew there. And even if Jim was the kind of guy to cheat on Pam, uh, you know, if, if it was maybe Ryan in there instead, for instance, the camera crew might have dissuaded whoever it was from doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think that that's a moot point because the two of us anyway don't think that Jim is that kind of guy. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, next up, Corey from Oregon. Hey, Karen and Katie, this is Corey in Oregon. Um, sorry for calling so many times. I just... Uh, Love you guys' show and love you guys' input, and I always uh, end up thinking about more questions uh, after your podcast. Um, completely random question, um, and I've thought about it uh, before. What do you guys think would be the interaction um, and how it would go down between Michael Scott and Robert California if they were to meet? Um, we've seen Michael Scott meet Will Ferrell before, and they got along really well, but then they also had a rocky relationship because uh, that was when Michael was leaving, um, and it was kind of bittersweet at that time. But I was just curious with Robert's personality of how that would go uh, with Michael, and if Robert would like Michael, or um, if Michael would even like Robert. Um, so I would like to hear you guys' thoughts some, sometime. Uh, I think it would be a pretty interesting topic. All right, thanks. Okay, what are your thoughts, Katie, on how Robert and Michael might have interacted with each other, or what they would have thought of each other? I think this is a great question. Uh, I had not really thought of this at all. And also, Corey, don't apologize. We're glad to hear from you. We love you. So Michael and Robert, I think Robert would not have liked Michael. I think he would think of him worse than he thinks of Andy. Yeah, he would have thought of Michael as an idiot. Yeah. And he doesn't like Andy, as far as we can tell, in my opinion. And he would not in my... I, I, I don't think he would have humored Michael at all. Michael... For whatever reason, my impression is that he would see Robert how Jim sees Robert. Sort of like, this guy is so weird, but he's kind of in awe of him. Mm -hmm. I think he would have seen Robert as weirder than himself. And I don't know why that is. I I don't know why that's my impression. I think he kind of would have worshipped Robert a little bit. Like, this guy is so weird and cool, and I can't wrap my head around it, so it must be great. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's my impression. I had similar thoughts. I my first thought was Robert's going to think Michael's an idiot, but I think yeah. Michael would have had a similar approach to Robert that uh, Andy has, where he w- he'd be trying to live up to an yeah. expectation, maybe not to the same extent because Andy has those parent issues that we know he's always been trying to live up to some sort of expectation. But Michael, I think, would have been trying to do something to impress Robert because he has a need to be liked, right? Which has that, that wonderful talking head, of course, from Michael. Yeah. But um, <laughs> because Robert wouldn't have liked Michael, or probably wouldn't have liked Michael, it would have been cyclical of, oh my gosh, we'll have to make you like me more, so I'm going to do more crazy things, which would make Robert like him less, so it would make Michael do more crazy things, and it would just spin off into disaster. Uh, there is one difference, though. Michael was really good at his job. 
I'm not saying Andy's not. Andy has proven himself to be a decent manager, but Michael had like the one-two punch of being a good manager sometimes and always being a good salesman. And so I think that, yes, Robert would have thought of Michael as an idiot, but I think he might have tolerated him in some capacity because Michael was good at what he did, like specifically what he did. He wasn't good at a whole lot of other things. But like his people skills when it came to sales and making relationships in the business were like top notch. And so I think that there would have been like that sort of back and forth of almost the same way Jan thought of Michael without the the sexual stuff. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Right. <laughs> who knows? But Interesting uh, question. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. Okay. Two more. Like I said, we're catching up a little bit. This one is from Lawrence, who is 16. Hello, I'm Lawrence. I'm 16, and I left a voicemail earlier, and then I realized I phrased things wrong. Uh, my question is, what do you guys think of the office fan theory that Dwight is neurodivergent and that Jim is the one who is bullying Dwight? So, for example, I know someone who thinks that Dwight might be autistic and that Jim's pranks are cruel. Uh, so I'm just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that. Okay, so sort of a, a two-parter question. One, do you think that Dwight is quote, neurodivergent, that's not a term I'd heard before, but it makes sense, or uh, autistic, somewhere on the autism spectrum. Uh, And then the other part would be, do you think Jim's pranks on Dwight are cruel, partially because of the possibility of him being autistic? So in my, albeit limited experience with autism, yes, he displays some of these social difficulties that people on the spectrum sometimes experience? This is a difficult question. But I don't know that I believe he is autistic. I think that there are symptoms that he does not display. Therefore, I don't think Jim's pranks are cruel because A, Dwight plays them right back, and B, if he's not autistic, I don't think it is cruel. So in, those might go hand in hand in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I don't, if anything, I would say that Dwight maybe has some sort of Asperger's. I think we yeah, need to preface this. Neither of us are medical professionals or psychiatrists. <laughs> like we no. have no <laughs> basis for anything that we're talking about here. This is just random speculation. And we mean no offense by anything we're saying. Yeah. We're trying to word our, our, our phrases very carefully, but. I mean, I'm a teacher and I, I, I do deal with students who are on various parts of the spectrum all the time. I think if if Dwight is on the spectrum, he's very high functioning. But yes. to answer the he's second question, he's a very smart question, person. I mean, yeah, he, he runs his own business like he's he's extremely yeah. uh, capable. And it, to, to answer the second question, I don't think anybody else thinks that Dwight. I, mean, I think they think Dwight is weird, but I don't think they think he has any sort of. Uh, autism spectrum about him or anything like that i I don't think jim pranks dwight with the thought in the back of his mind that oh he is on the autism spectrum so that answers that for me like Mm -hmm. i I don't think that what jim is doing comes from a place of cruelty it comes from a place of being bored as i'll get out at his job and trying to find a way to entertain himself and his wife i think with the bulk of the people in the office if they suspected that it was cruel that they would have put a stop to it much earlier on you know what i mean if they had witnessed jim pranking dwight and they thought it was unjust but no one in the office seems to think that this pranking is cruel not that it's 
up to them to stop. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm making sense. I have no idea. Basically, no, I don't think he is on the spectrum only because of the mass of people in the office that don't seem to, to think that he is. Okay. Moving on from that question, <laughs> again, hopefully we didn't offend anybody by anything we said. Again, we pure speculation, yeah. non, yep. non-medical professionals. Anyways, one more voicemail. This one is from Richard. Hello, uh, my name is Richard Ramos, age 21, from uh, Brooklyn, New York. And I just have uh, an interesting tidbit and also a question. Uh, first off, I just want to go back to the classic office episode safety training, uh, where you referenced the classic line, Dwight, you ignorant slut. Uh, I just wanted to point out, because you didn't mention it in the video, but I thought it was worth noting that that line is actually a reference to an old uh, SNL sketch with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin uh, from, like, the early seasons of SNL. And I just thought it was uh, worth pointing out because uh, it's yet another reference Michael's made to SNL because, obviously, uh, Lazy Scranton and uh, McGruber, he's made a couple of SNL references. So I just liked to point out that classic line was actually a reference to an SNL sketch uh, just to point that Michael – doesn't have an original thought in his head. And uh, just another quick question, uh, as Creed is my favorite character from The Office, uh, what's uh, your favorite Creed moment? Because he's such a great character for those single moments. But yeah, anyways, uh, have a good rest of your show. I enjoy listening to it. So yeah, have a good one. Okay, thank you, Richard. Um, I, I Thank you for pointing out the SNL thing. I think that our friend Leslie pointed it out at the time we recorded it as well. Um, I may be misremembering, but I think he emailed us that fact, which is cool because I don't have a whole lot of SNL experience, old or new. So it's nice to have those connections pointed out when they're not as obvious as like Lazy Scranton or MacGruber. Right. But uh, so thanks for that. And then the other part is our favorite Creed moment. Uh, I've got to go ahead and say like the one that we mentioned today, the the strike scream run, that is like one of my favorite Creed moments, if not my favorite. Uh, but there's there's so many. Do you have any that stand out? Katie? Yes. My my favorite Creed moment is yet to come, so I cannot talk about my favorite. It is very, very late in season nine. I think I know which one you're talking it's about. Just, it's just great. <laughs> um, of the things we've covered, I think the Halloween episode, I, I neglected to look this up, I'm sorry. The Halloween episode where he comes in with blood on his shirt, mm -hmm. and he goes, oh, right, it's Halloween. That's convenient. That's good timing. It's <laughs> <laughs> good timing. <laughs> <laughs> like he could just deign to show up to work on a regular day with blood on his shirt and think that people would not ask questions, but it's Halloween. So that's great. <laughs> right. Or, uh, murder. There's been a murder and you, my friend, are a suspect. <laughs> goes, okay, okay, I'll just go take care of things, get settled and I'll be right back. And we see him like running out <laughs> to his car or, um, then I will have two chairs, only one to go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you planning? I don't think if we I ever can't find scuba, then I don't know what this has all been about. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of Creed moments. There's so many that are so. I mean, there's a there's a reason we always have like a Creed segment of the show where we have to point out whatever he does because it's always funny. I'm sure somewhere online there's a compilation of all of his lines. Oh, I'm sure, like even many. on the the there's an active Office YouTube page, and it's like the like actual affiliated and they post compilations and deleted scenes and stuff all the time they're always adding to it so y'all should definitely check it out and i wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a creed compilation 
best Creed moments um, on that YouTube channel. So look it up. Yeah, I, I just did a quick search. There's the best of Creed. It's 12 minutes long. They should just do all of Creed. <laughs> yeah, all of them. So, yeah. Every line. And that is voicemails. We we did it. This is a long episode. It has been a little bit of a hiatus. So we're we're glad to be back and we're glad to have gotten through everything. Thank you all for the voicemails. And that is the end of the official 91st episode of An American Workplace. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please continue to go over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, that helps us with visibility on the show. Uh, over the last week, I checked at one point, we actually got into the top 200 for the TV film category at, uh, at least one point, which is pretty cool because it's the first time I've seen that happen in a while. So the more you guys interact with our uh, podcast on iTunes or the podcast app specifically, the more likely that we are able to be featured in that way. If you have any feedback or ideas, uh, you can always email us workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you do have voicemails to leave for us, again, try and keep them to a minute or less. Try and be specific and direct with what you're saying or asking us uh, so that we can respond to that directly. Include your name so we can also thank you by name. And the way to get to that is dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623. That's probably the best place. You can also find me on facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me, as always, is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. There's also Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope. You can find it where podcasts can be found and at TheCinescopePodcast.com. If you want more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at Patreon.com slash WorkplacePod. And show notes and all contact information for the show can be found at workplacepod.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 91 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 92 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Get the Girl and Welcome Party. Bye. Bye. In Scranton, Daryl and Toby vie for Kevin's patronage of their daughter's cookie sales. So, Wait, cookie sales is the next episode, isn't it? How did I do that? What? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, cookie you know sales is last I... day in Florida. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, um, I watched both episodes and then I went back and did my. <laughs> <laughs> God, this is going great. We're oh, no. <laughs> we're good at this. Okay, <laughs> but gather around, peeps, to tell you the truth. No- ah, I messed it up. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Nothing beats the cookie season. That is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is out? Al- oh wait, that was it. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, that's uh, that's that's it. That's all I have. <laughs>